Imagine a culture that values more than just intellectual ways of knowing. For example, that values synchronicities and dreams and intuition. Imagine teachers who encourage the student to foresee the path ahead, not just looking for an immediate solution. Imagine a sage who requires the inquirer to participate in order to have deeper learning. Imagine shamanesses who invite us to be all we can be. Those are the oracles of Delphi. For thousands of years, the oracle of Delphi was consulted before any major decision was made. Kings came before her. No major decision was made in the ancient Greek world without consulting the oracle. There are many different phases of the oracle during the history of Delphi. At first, she was an earth mother goddess. In fact, Delphi is surrounded by mountains, including the holy mountain of Mount Parnassus. And you can see in the shape of Mount Parnassus, it looks like a giant womb, a womb, a uterus. And this was the mother goddess in earth itself. Hmm. Here, a goddess 
who was uh, Gaia was the the first mother goddess, and Gaia. there are figurines in Delphi that are between five and seven thousand years old that are made of clay, and it shows the most ancient Earth mother goddess. And then she became embodied as Gaia, Argeia, the mother, the Earth mother goddess. And Gaia had a daughter named Themis, who was the goddess of order and natural law. And she was able to see everything that would happen in the past and the present and the future. And the mythical king who founded Athens, Aegeus, who the Aegean Sea is named after, there is an ancient plate that shows him bowing before the goddess when she is Themis. And then later in history, Themis's granddaughter, Phoebe, was the goddess of the oracles. And she too was able to see beyond the usual limits of time and space. And then sometime around the eighth century before our era, Apollo and the Olympian gods came to Greece. And Apollo became the god associated with Delphi and the oracles spoke on behalf of the god. When you visit the temple of Apollo at Delphi today, you can see an underground chamber that goes to the Holy of Holies. And this was where the oracles would enter. Hmm. And ancient historians reported that there were fumes coming up through a fissure in the ground and that the god of the, the uh, excuse me, that the oracle would sit on a tripod above these fumes and she would hold a sprig of laurel and she would look into a bowl of water and she would tell petitioners, she would answer their questions. You are only allowed to approach the Oracle of Delphi one time in your life. Mm. And she only spoke one day per month. And only nine months per year. And the petitioner had to cleanse him or herself in the nearby sacred spring and would ask the question. So for the ancient Greeks, they believed that they were speaking to the deity itself through the mouth of the oracle. And recent research has shown that there are two major fault lines that cross like an X underneath the temple of Apollo and the Holy of Holies. And their research has also shown evidence of gases that came up that would induce a borderline state. So the oracle would prepare herself, she would fast, she would only present the oracles but the person is called an oracle, and what they say is also called an oracle. She would only present the oracles on one day a month, and it's believed that perhaps this is when the gases were safe for her to be able to be seated above in order to speak with the petitioners. 
these women were chosen for their natural ability. And sometimes they were called oracles, sometimes they were called Pythias. And Pythias are associated with the serpent, and the serpent is associated with the divine feminine. And sometimes they were called Sibyls. And in Greek, Sibyl comes from Theobol, T-H-E-O, which is the deity, and bull, which is singing. So she's singing, singing from the divine. So she presented her oracles for thousands of years, again, possibly as early as 5000 BCE. And then eventually the oracles ended because the Roman emperor Theodosius forbade any of the ancient traditions around the year 394 of our era. So thousands and thousands of years, people came to have this connection with the divine, especially with the divine feminine. And there was a very important stone placed in the temple area, and it was called the Amphalos, which means navel or belly button. And it was believed that Delphi was the center of the world and that it was connected through its navel to the mother goddess. We're going to look at oh, how there she is. the oracles sure. were celebrated yeah, as fonts of wisdom. She can, oh, yeah. No major decision right was now. made without yeah. first consulting the oracle. And on the path leading up to the Temple of Apollo, there were these stone treasuries that were built which were little buildings that were filled with treasures that were given in thanks for the oracle's advice. They were able to see beyond the usual limits of time and space. Again, through synchronicities, through intuition, through dreams. And you may be familiar with the one of the most famous oracles associated with Delphi, and this is King Croesus and his request for advice from the oracle. Croesus was the most rich man in that part of the world. He was all powerful. He was the king of Lydia, and he had everything he wanted. And he had a question for the oracle, and he wanted to see if the oracle was authentic or not. So he sent his representatives to Delphi. And he said, I'm going to be doing something at a particular time. Ask the oracle what I'm doing. And the oracle saw that he was boiling a tortoise in a metal pot. And that's exactly what he was doing in another part of the world. And that would be a big coincidence to guess that someone was doing that. So Croesus chose then to have his representatives ask the next question. And this is where it's um, important to encourage foresight, to not just to see the immediate question, to answer the immediate question, but to look at how this fits in with the greater path ahead. So before Croesus had sent his representatives to consult with the oracle, he had met with the Greek philosopher Solon. And Solon was one of the sages of ancient Greece. And Croesus said to Solon, thinking the answer was going to be that Croesus was this person, he said to Solon, who's the happiest man in the world? And Solon described someone else who he felt was perfectly happy. 
And Croesus kept asking these questions of Solon, hoping that he would say, why, Croesus, you're the richest and happiest and most handsome and most most fulfilled person in the world. But Solon never said is, that, uh, even though Croesus was the most wealthy person in his part so of the I'm world at Solon. that time. And Solon said, a person's life is entirely chance, and nobody knows what the deities may bring tomorrow. You can count no man happy until he dies. So this was a few years before Croesus sent his representatives to see the oracles. And he did this because he wanted to see if he should wage war on the Persians. The Persians were not threatening him at all, but he felt like they could in the future. So he asked his representative to ask the oracle if he should wage war on the Persians. And some of you may be familiar with the response that Croesus received. It was that if you do this, you will destroy a mighty empire. If you wage war with the Persians, you will destroy a mighty empire. And Croesus thought this was great. He's like, I'm going to proceed with this. Again, the Persians weren't even threatening him. And it turns out that the Persians defeated Croesus completely. They captured him. And Cyrus, the king of the Persians, asked that Croesus be captured and brought to him, that he not be killed. And he put him on a fire ready to burn him alive. And Cyrus, or, and Croesus then starts calling on Solon, this philosopher. So he doesn't ask Cyrus not to kill him, he calls on Solon and he's like, you were right, you were right. So Croesus, uh, suddenly then Cyrus, the king of Persia says, stop the fire, don't, don't burn Croesus, but they couldn't stop the fire. Mm-hmm. And then miraculously, the fire stopped when Croesus said, I've learned my lesson. He says to Solon, I've learned my lesson. And this arrogant man became reverent. He finally understood what Solon was saying to him. You can count no man happy until he dies. So even though Croesus was defeated and was about to be burned alive by his um, calling on Solon, it intrigued Cyrus, the king of Persia, his captor, who then they, um, they became friends and... Cyrus was able to learn from Croesus. But Croesus was annoyed with the oracle. He's like, I went and asked. And I said, should I wage war on the Persians? And my answer was, if you do, you will destroy a great empire. So when he sent his representatives back to the oracle to say, why was I given this answer? The obvious response is, Croesus never asked which empire. He did indeed destroy a great empire. It was his own. Mm. The oracles often responded in riddles so that the person would have to participate in the response themselves, not just have it handed to them. So the oracles expected the inquirers to participate in their own learning. Now, you may, often, you may also be familiar with the oracle's connection with Socrates. 
And this was related to us by Plato. And um, Socrates, before his famous trial that involves the oracle, he said that if we can understand something through learning, we should learn it. If something is common knowledge, don't ask the oracle. In the same way, if there's something we can do in our own lives with the powers that are already available to us to improve our lot, we should do it not count on the deities or some magical formula to do it for us. The Stoic Epictetus asked, is the questioner impelled by fear and desire or by a detached wish for truth? So when we ask the oracle, are we expecting a certain answer and we just want her to confirm it for us? Are we really looking for the truth? Epictetus said that we should expect the oracle's response like we expect the, the perception that we get from our eyes. We don't tell our eyes, I want you to see this. We look at and perceive what the eyes send to our brain. In the same way, we should look at what the oracle says to us very impersonally. And whatever it is that we're told, we should put it to good use, and no one should be able to prevent us from doing that, even if it's not the response we want. And this, of course, applies to life in general, where we find ourselves. It might not be the answer that we wanted, but we can use it to, we can use, we can put it to the best use. Epictetus also said, when you get a response from the oracle, from the deity, from the master within, from your subconscious. Remember whom you have taken as a counselor and who you will be disregarding if you disobey. And in this case, if, if the oracle was speaking on behalf of the deity or our inner self, we would be disobeying the deity. The oracles also invited us to be all we can be, to embrace our destiny. The father of Pythagoras went to the oracle, and he didn't know his wife was pregnant. And the oracle said, your wife is with child. And that she would give birth to a man who was supremely beautiful, wise, and beneficial to humankind. And that is how Pythagoras got his name, named after the Pythia, the oracle who gave that advice. In some versions of the story, his mother went to the oracle, but in, it's either his mother or his father. And ancient historians reported that it was an oracle who taught Pythagoras about the, his um, moral laws. He taught in three different degrees, and the Pythias are the ones who informed Pythagoras of his moral doctrines. He said that he got them from the Delphic priestess. Now, I mentioned Socrates, and you may be familiar with the story of Socrates and his trial. Socrates was put on trial for corrupting the youth of Athens and for introducing false deities. However, when Socrates chose to defend himself at this trial, he said, that's not really what I'm on trial for. Here's really why I'm on trial. My childhood friend went to the Oracle at Delphi and asked, is there any man wiser than Socrates? And she said, no. And Socrates said, 
I thought, surely that cannot be correct. So I started going to different people. He first interviewed a man with a high reputation for wisdom. This was a politician. And he wanted to prove that this politician was more wise than himself, than Socrates was. But he found after speaking to this politician that he thinks that he knows something which he does not know. Whereas Socrates said, I am quite conscious of my ignorance. Then Socrates thought, well, the poets and the dramatists and the musicians, they're all more wise than I am. But after he interviewed them, he found that they didn't understand the sublime messages of their creations. Then he interviewed craftspeople. He thought, surely they are more wise than he was, than Socrates was. But he found with the craftspeople that based on the strength of their technical proficiency, they claimed a perfect understanding of every other subject, which he found that, he, that they did not have. So Socrates, in his own defense, said, that is why I still go about seeking and searching in obedience to the divine command. If I think that anyone is wise, whether citizen or stranger, and when I think that any person is not wise, I try to help the cause of the divine by proving that he is not. This occupation has kept me busy and has reduced me to extreme poverty. And as you know, the, uh, the, the jury, which was made up of 500 men, um, voted against him, and Socrates was condemned to death. Mm. So Socrates proved that no one is wiser than Socrates because he knows nothing. And it's interesting to consider, is anyone wiser than someone who knows that they know nothing? And this is an important part of the Rosicrucian tradition and the legend of the mythical character Christian Rosenkreuz, who knows that he knows nothing. So now we're going to participate in a meditation related to the oracles of Delphi. Yes, if you, know how to do if you would please close your eyes and take three deep breaths. Visualize the culture that you live in, celebrating women as fonts of wisdom. See your culture celebrating women as fonts of wisdom. What would that look like? Hmm. Are these women? Sometimes she'd be silent because she's in your society, in your culture, the place where you where you live. Women as fonts of wisdom. What are their roles in your society? 
she's a woman, so you know she can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Action take. Yeah, she's action take on this. Throw a picture too. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that kind of light. Your culture, your society, where wherever you live, valuing more than intellectual ways of knowing. For example, seeing beyond the usual limits of time and space. That's that's what you call the new age, the modern day or dreams. Modern, okay. That's what that is. I'll stop right there. I think she yeah. about to go through some more. Now, there are also right. That's cool. Back in the day, they didn't go by more, but you know they updated it for modern times. Yeah, I had to put it's that on way. So you know what I'm saying? I, I was gonna do it by myself. I was like, nah, I'm gonna play this motherfucker for real, and you know, put that on the podcast. It's, you know, that I thought that was pretty profound. Cause I, I, I never really heard her really speak. I just read a lot of literature. I ain't never really heard her speak. So when I ran across actual short little video I ran across I was like oh shoot I gotta get this man hold up I think I think I got her speaking and so I think it's the phone so I got I had to get that one you know what I'm saying to put that on there so I thought you know I thought that was dope so (laughs) yeah yeah put that on there hold on let me see go back here Try to find the one where uh, she speaks yeah. on Martin Luther. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's other ones on there, but I just want to focus on the Oracles of Death 5 because you read it. And, you know, I told you. Say, Buggy said he on the committing, committing to your soul part, and he, he finds it very interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, hey, that is dope. That is dope. <clears throat> that is dope. <clears throat> Well, um, let me see here. Got that there, and shit. I played this little last part, something else. Came across, but yeah, I, you know, I like how she broke down the story or whatnot. So, um, shit, I figured out what I'll do. Okay, now to transition to this other little part, it's only number like a minute, 15 minutes, uh, 34 seconds. But uh, you know how most people would say that uh, if you go to the restroom and you know use the restroom, take a piss, whatever, and you look in the toilet and your piss is clear, people would say that that's healthy. Well, got oh, oh, that's it though. I'm trying to see. Oh. She talk very low. You see, so, yeah. see, see how she looked in this one? Yeah. Her hair was brown. Yeah, see, I, I got a, this one here, this was like from last year. It was mm-hmm. like around November. Yeah. That's when she posted this video that I found here. Because uh, it, it says it on the bottom of the hashtag. It said 2021. So. But it says November of 2021, so she just posted this. But I don't think she just posted. I don't know. But I know she older because that picture you just showed, she looked a lot younger than this one here. So, 
but um made it into a true science so yeah in 531 bce wow, let's say shit. according to I know, bro, he, tradition, he got all of it <laughs> you know what i'm saying so when i come across this you know just had to show bro that uh after studying for 22 years uh, with the greatest egyptian masters he returned to Cretona, italy established a school of philosophy oh this just about that oh okay on the portal leading to that school the following words could be read supreme intelligence has extracted earth from nothingness just as it has extracted the one to create the multitude according to the archives of our order we owe Pythagoras a great deal, for he is one of the philosophers who contributed the most to the teachings the Rosicrucian tradition perpetuates, especially with respect to spirit vibrations and the laws governing the evolution of the soul. Pythagoras taught his disciples that divinity geometrized the whole creation to make it perfect, complete, and harmonious. On this subject, it is said that he was the first to name the deity the grand architect of the universe. For him, numbers represented cosmic laws in action and the essence of all perceptible phenomena. In other words, in accordance with the terminology of the Greek philosophers, they represented the noumena, that is, the archetypes of all earthly manifestations. Pythagoras attributed a special importance to the most sacred tetractus, that is, to the theosophical sum of the first four numbers. It has even been the theme of the following sacred invocation which has come down to us throughout the ages. Bless us, divine number, that has created laws and humans. Bless us, O most holy Tetractus, that contains the root and the source of the eternal flux of creation. You are the divine number that begins with pure and profound unity and then reaches the sacred four. Then you created the mother of the whole that connects all, the firstborn, the one that never goes adrift. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's dope. I like that.